May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, I was on call for pastoral concerns. And do you know I prayed with over 31 families? I can tell you right now that our community, along with the nation, is nervous and we are uncomfortable and we are afraid. If you're at Canterbury Court right now, you cannot go to the dentist without taking a 14-day quarantine. You can't leave your room. If your life partner lives in the skilled nursing pavilion, you cannot see them. If you work in a hospital, you risk your life to care for the sick. If you work a low-wage job, you never could afford to stay home. And you wonder if essential worker is really code for expendable worker. If you are undocumented, you've always feared the trauma of ICE detention centers, but now they're critically dangerous. If you live in jail, you are not safe. If you live off your invested savings, you watch the stock market careen like a drunk man on a tire swing, and your life savings dangles in the balance. If you have family and friends in nursing homes, you fear for their lives. You cannot visit them. And if they get sick, you cannot be with them even to the point of death. There is a traumatic grief here. It literally and figuratively breaks the heart. And so, yes, we are nervous and uncomfortable and afraid. And today, more than ever, we need good news. Not trite news, not fake news, not sunny optimism. I'm talking about gospel good news. Consider the disciples in today's Pentecost story. They had just pledged their lives and their livelihoods to a revolutionary Jewish North African refugee named Jesus. They watched him draw thousands to his rambunctious efforts to subvert the empire. He said that God's kingdom is rooted in unconditional love, and he turned tables at the very seat of power. And all that sounded good at the time. But surely they must have known, as he did, of the ongoing efforts to kill him. So it was that they watched him lynched on a cross by the empire state. And then the stone rolled away and an empty tomb proclaimed that love kills death. They ate and they spoke with the resurrected Christ. And then he was taken from them again, this time for good. And now I imagine they were really nervous and really uncomfortable and really afraid. Why else would they be huddled together for the Feast of Pentecost for fear, as John's Gospel says, trying to figure out what could possibly come next? But can I tell you that I believe we serve an on-time God who has never abandoned us and never will. Can I tell you that I believe we serve a God of possibility who makes a way out of no way? Can I tell you that I believe we serve a God of community who empowers us to love for the sake of the world? How does God do this work but through the agency, the movement, the activity, the dynamism of the Holy Spirit? 
This Holy Spirit, which we celebrate on the Feast of Pentecost, is not timid, and she is not afraid. She does not show up as a polite breeze, nor as a pilot light, but rather as a rush of violent wind, as divided tongues of fire. She gives them each ability to speak God's truth in their context. And Peter reminds us of Joel's promise. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young shall see visions, and your old shall see and dream dreams. Indeed, this Pentecost, we proclaim the love of a triune God for the sake of the world. And one of the central things to know about Trinity is that God sends. God sends forth the act of creation in the primal blur. God so loves the world that God sends his only son. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, the activity of God in our midst. The Holy Spirit builds and sends God's church, and God's church sends us, you and me, into the troubled waters where the kingdom is not. It is precisely there, in these troubled waters, that God calls us to build the kingdom of Shalom, which is a just peace for all of God's children. Friends, this is the apostolic mission of God, and the world is hurting. Like a lightning flash in the night, the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the failures of our system. If poverty created health risks before, now the poor are more likely to die from this disease. If democracy was shaky before, now you worry for the republic. Indeed, there is no vaccine for the virus of racism. Ahmad Arbery was hunted in broad daylight, and it took over 10 weeks for any arrest or investigation to be launched. And just this week, the nation watched in horror as George Floyd was murdered, as he suffocated under a police officer's knee in my hometown in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And as I speak to you, my hometown is on fire. These tragic assaults are nothing short of assaults on our shared humanity. As Dr. King said, we are tied together in a mutual garment of destiny. I cannot be my full self until you achieve your full potential. We are a piece. I am because you are. And even if others will not, we at All Saints and we as Christians in this country must name the roots of this bigotry with precision, which is white supremacy and racism and structural injustice passed on from the legacy of chattel slavery. All contrary to God's dream for the world, to turn away from this truth or to blur it is complicity. And that is how culture produces evil. In a time like this, we dare not forget the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knew that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. 
Indeed, the ship called humanity sails into a familiar storm. Once again, the winds howl against us, waves batter our boat. Once again, racist torches march in our streets, newly empowered. Once again, black and brown bodies fall in the streets. And we are confused, and we are nervous, and we are afraid. And we should ask, with what peace will Christ calm this storm? Is it a papered over truce where we equivocate for a time, then move on awaiting the next tragedy? Or is it the all-too-easy trap of waiting for other heads to roll? Fire those cops, arrest those men, launch the investigation. Can people of conscience continue to turn away from the deep work we each individually need to undertake? Does Christ calm this storm rather with God's peace? Where justice flows down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Where in Dr. King's words, true peace is not the absence of conflict but the presence of justice. Friends, I believe this justice of God is precisely the peace of Christ with which these storms will be calmed. And I I believe that we are called to a similar journey, but we're going to need at least a little faith. We're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit, God's agency and movement in our lives. As Pastor Campbell writes, the reason we seem to lack faith in our time is that maybe we aren't doing anything that requires it. So I don't know what God is calling you to do right now. And if I thought I did, it would not be my place to tell you from this pulpit. I know that in the black community, there is a real reticence to hear one more speech from a white person. And the pain is so real, the inequality is so stark. These conversations on race are full of pitfalls and centuries of pain. But James Baldwin gets it right. Not everything that is faced can be changed. But nothing can be changed until it is faced. So what is to be done? We can learn something from our history. This church showed the city of Atlanta how to love during the AIDS pandemic. This church, this this room, these people, this community held funerals sometimes two and three a week for those who could not pay, for those who had nowhere else to turn, especially in the gay community. Survivors will tell you that it felt like all their friends died within a matter of years. To those who were dying of AIDS, at one point this congregation famously drew close to the point of even crawling into the hospital bed and saying, you are a child of God. And we love you, and I don't care what anyone says, you are not going to die alone. We can't do that with COVID-19 but it, because it's not safe, but the principle remains that when we orient ourselves towards God's love, when we engage that inner transformation happening by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see God's love not as a sentiment, but rather as a stance. We love God, we love neighbor, and we literally change the world. I think what I'm trying to say in the end is that we're all in this together and God calls us 
deeply to a new way of being. Let me try to put it to you in a story. A lot of people are comparing the pandemic to a marathon. I want to tell you about running the Philadelphia Marathon a couple years ago. You find yourself in a street with literally thousands of people cheering for you, signs everywhere you look. Some are funny, some are kind of weird, and some are amazing and inspiring, and they're basically saying, keep on going. And after special several hours of positivity, I was especially inspired by a man in a raccoon skin cap and a burlap sack who dubbed himself the sarcastic encourager. He slowly banged a spoon on an old pan saying, you have no chance. All hope is lost. Give up now. I'd turn back if I were you. And we all laughed and we appreciated his ingenuity. And we sang the Rocky theme song. Da-da-da! And we kept on running. We were so proud of ourselves. And then it kept on happening. More and more miles. And finally we got to mile 19. And at this point you start to question your life choices. Like, why did I pay for this? Everything hurts. Why? And I thought seriously about giving up. And just then I ran past a giant tent with great music pumping and those Vuvuzela trumpets from the South African World Cup and people dressed up in goofy costumes and a total stranger saw me riding the metaphorical struggle bus and he stepped into the street and he looked me in the eye and he said, man, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I know you can do this. I know you can take your next step. I know you can take your next breath. Keep going. I so needed to hear that in that moment. Take your next step. Take your next breath. Do the next right thing. And the message of Pentecost is that we're not doing this alone. Because God knows us and loves us. God sends the Holy Spirit to lead and guide, to empower and support. And because we have each other, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will keep on keeping on. Nobody knows how this race will be run. Nobody knows what it will look like, how long it will last. But I truly believe that when we prioritize the good of the whole, when we orient ourselves towards God's love for us and for the world, when we tune into the energy of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we will get through this. We will do the next right thing. We will take the next step. We will take the next breath. By God's grace, we will get through this together. Amen.